be alive as a Christian and have all the riches and privileges, indescribable mysteries that, that we have at every turn. And then in front of us is an eternal destiny that uh, we wait for, a spectacular glory that is awaiting us. And, uh, you know, that's a weight that can bear you up with uh, joy unspeakable. Uh, something like full of glory as we think about that, isn't it? And, you know, when we're talking about riches and privileges, this is what Peter has so aptly stated throughout the first chapter and into the second chapter. Uh, the privileges for the believer are just uh, seem like almost countless, and, and Peter has brought up so much. And then God has revealed to us the answers of the ages that most people, if they're not well, people that are not Christians, do not really know the answers to those basic questions like "Who are you?" If you have on your outlines, that's what we're titling this tonight: "Who are you?" Um, but if you don't know who you are as a Christian, you really don't know. You don't know how you got your identity. Uh, You don't know what you are here for. But if um, you know that you are a Christian and uh, as we look at uh, Scripture that reveals to us all these truths, we realize that we know those basic important questions that are so vital. And not often do you find a clear-cut answer to those questions of who am I and how do I get my identity and what am I here for within just a couple of verses. And that's where we're at tonight in First uh, Peter chapter 2. Verse 9 is really about all we're going to do, but verse 9 and 10 is uh, really telling us who we are. Our identity is incredible. And when we look at these rock bottom foundational questions uh, of life and we read the Word of God here, we just are in wonder and we just stand in awe um, of all these things. And look what Peter has has told us so far. It's uh, unbelievable uh, privileges, the riches that we have, and how we got our identity as, uh, as he shows it here. And then we tie this together with what we looked at last week and Jesus is the very cornerstone, the chosen stone as um, we looked at in verse 6. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. We talked about the preciousness. but um, He is the chosen stone. He was chosen. He was chosen by God. And that was what our text was last week. We also know that we are in this spiritual house. And we are stones that are put in this spiritual building. We are living stones. And we are chosen stones also. Stones that were prepared beforehand uh, and then put in place exactly what God had in mind. We have a tremendous position in this uh, beautiful architectural structure that God has designed and He's put us in exactly the way that He uh, is wanting to do it. So that's what we're going to look at tonight as we'll uh, look at uh, being a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for who You are because it all starts with You. You are a grand, supreme God, the only God. And because of what Christ has done, we can sit here tonight and worship You through Your Holy Spirit, 
who magnifies your truth, who brings these truths into our hearts, our minds, and that we would not only have an intellectual exercise, but something that would apply to our lives as we live it to give glory to you. And as we think about this particular week, a special week, as we await the celebration, of course, every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection, but it just highlights it even more when we think of uh, your abounding glory. And uh, thank you for your grace, Lord, for what you have done for us, because there is no way that we could even have a desire to worship you until you have put it into our hearts. Help us to know your word better and that we can understand your truths that you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You are a chosen generation. Or some of you might have a chosen race. And he starts off with the with a three-letter word, but you. Now he's going to contrast that with where he has been dealing with, which was the unbeliever that stumbles over the rock because of their disobedience to the Word and this doom they were also appointed. And then he starts off this next section, but you, and it's very emphatic, it's an adversative, uh, emphatic adversative, I guess they call it, that contrasts the doom of the believer to what's in verse 8. And he's talking about the doom of all those ones that who never trust Christ that will be sentenced to hell because of their disobedience and failure to love Christ. And but comes in there in a very strong term. And it's like, on the other hand, what a contrast it is. Here's one, and here's the other. You are a chosen race. They have their doom. But you, on the other hand, are a chosen race. Chosen generation. And so we're not like those ones who are bound for destruction and um, because of their failure to value Him as what? Precious. Remember? We looked at it last week. All Christians see Jesus as precious to us. Very precious. So we are a chosen genos generation. Race. And we'll get into that word in a moment. But um, we have to go into chosen the chosen race. We can't skip that. It's there, so we have to deal with it. We've dealt with it many times. And as we go through Peter, I guess you've noticed Peter likes to use that word a lot, doesn't he? Well, there's no use to try to avoid it. Uh, it's dealing with elect or choice. This is, uh, And when he talks about that to them, you are a chosen race. First of all, he's talking about a corporate identity, uh, a group of people. He's talking about the church. But the implication is going to boil down to individuals, isn't it? And so you can take it right there to your your own self there. Um, His race, um, or this race here that he's talking about, a chosen race, is uh, not racial. You know, we we think of uh, black and white and yellow and brown and what have you. Uh, The chosen race is a new people from all the peoples. And that's how this temple is put together this building and all the colors, all the cultures and takes out of them and he makes them aliens and strangers here. Peter has already mentioned that. He has a lot of different names for us, doesn't he? 
You know, we're a spiritual house. We're aliens. We're strangers. We're chosen. And so we we have to really emphasize this chosenness uh, just for a little bit here. Um, anyway, what gives us our identity is not the family that we came from, our culture, uh, the country we came from, but it's chosenness. And that's what a Christian is. And it's not that we're a white race, black race, brown race, whatever, but we're the chosen race. All people coming together like that. Out from all the races, and really there's only one race anyway, you know, all comes from Adam. And that's that's really what it is. There's only one race. But in this chosen race, um, we belong to a group that will spend eternity together. And uh, Peter is just bringing this up together here as he starts... Uh, as he ends the section, actually, and he'll start in verse 11 about living in the world. Be thinking about who you are and uh, what God is doing and where he's taking us. So uh, this is an amazing phrase. And uh, I think it's uh, very crucial to us to understand that this word is very important. We're part of the chosen race. Because the race is made up of individuals who were chosen for God from all the races. And so you first have to see your identity. And, and, and your identity is that you are chosen. You are chosen. That's your identity. Who am I? I am chosen. By, by God, the creator of the universe, I'm chosen. You know, we can use that word and kind of uh, forget all the, the power that's behind it. Um, I don't know why. You know, there wasn't really any value. There really wasn't anything in me at all that God would bring me into His family. I didn't earn it. I didn't merit it. It wasn't because I was going to be smart enough or good enough to to choose Him. But um, it happened before I was born, right? So I stand in awe of this. I tremble with, with joy in, in another sense too. Uh, we bow. We, we accept this and we, we praise God for it. I, I long to be faithful to its purpose. Um, this chosen purpose. What God has done. I am chosen. You are chosen. God gave it uh, to you. God chose you before you were born. Then He called you. And we'll be getting into that probably next week where it says in verse 9, or right at the end of nine, uh, who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So He chose you, and then He called you. What we're going to do is just take a few verses. We're not going to do um, an exhaustive search on the chosen people of God, but it's just good to have and, and and just remember, even though we, we all know this, we've probably been through it many times because every time it's in Scripture, we're going to deal with it. So there it is. Boom. Let's go look at it. Let's start in the Old Testament. And uh, one that I think Peter is thinking of here. And Peter uses the Old Testament a lot. Have you, you guys noticed that? In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, Back to the law. Uh, 
And here he's talking to, uh, he's giving warnings out, and he's talking to the nation of Israel. For you are a holy people, set apart people, and we see that word in here tonight too, holy, right? To the Lord your God, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So that verse right there is a little bit similar to what we were dealing with in Peter there, right? Um, Israel is said to be chosen by God as far as the nation that he was going to work with. And uh, I think this is the text that uh, Peter definitely is thinking of as he pens his letter there. And he's looking at the church. And he's saying the redeemed community of God who were chosen way back before the cross have been put into a group of people, and those most of those people were in the nation of Israel. And what he did then uh, when Christ came here, who was born uh, Jewish, and the apostles were Jewish, and the church started out Jewish, but then expanded and Gentiles came into it. So this group of people, these chosen people, are a redeemed community that have been placed into that. So Peter takes off of the chosen nation, Israel, and then also says, okay, now there are people inside not only that nation, but everywhere who are a chosen race. Incredible plan that God has as He redeems um, people from all over uh, the world, different nations, tribes, tongues. And of course... uh, Israel was not chosen because they were any special great nation. God just decided to take of them, small as they were, and make them something to work through His plan. Then in Isaiah 43, 21... The people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. And of course, Peter's saying that that's a little bit shorter version of what Peter wrote in 9 and 10 of his letter. Uh, but he says here, the people whom I formed. Kind of goes along with that spiritual house. The ones that he does for his own purpose, his own plan, his own agenda for himself. And it's it's really for him. It's it's about him, isn't it? Didn't do it for us. Oh, he did, but he really did it for himself, didn't he? Yeah, we have plenty of privileges because of that. Um, a chosen genos. I, I say genos because uh, the Greek word there is... Um, the word for race or generation, genos, generation, generate. It's dealing with uh, a source of life to generate. Um, when you think of when we were born again, we were generated, regenerated. If you're born again, regenerated. You, you have now uh, a life that has been uh, started by God. He's a very life source. And so that's what a chosen genos or generation is. A new chosen race. Okay, look at a couple uh, Old Testament passages. We could probably look at a lot more, but 
Um, the most incredible privilege of all the privileges that we have is that we're chosen. <laughs> Let's uh, re-examine some of the passages that we're familiar with. While you're in Peter, go back to verse 1 and 2, basically. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. By the sanctifying work of the Spirit, He comes in and regenerates you, sets you apart so that you can obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So there, right in the first verse, He calls them that. And it's all according to what God started, that foreknowledge. And of course, um, we have to think that we were... um, Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy, because of His mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's a resurrection. Boy, that is um, ever woven throughout all the Bible, especially you see in the New Testament, the resurrection constantly being spoken of. Uh, Peter there talks about... um, being born again, He caused us to be born again. And He did it with the Word of God. Verse 23, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. It lives. So, Peter has already talked about that, living stone, the choice stone and such. Let's go to John, John 15. And we know there are many verses we can deal with, but these are some that we just used that word that Peter used. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He may give to you. I chose you. As he comes to the, the apostles. Remember, he, he came to Matthew, the tax collector, came right up to him and said, follow me. Went to, uh, uh, what, Peter? And Andrew, James, and John said, follow me. And they just get up and start following him. Pretty effective, right? <laughs> That's kind of how it works. Um, oh, your Acts 13.48. I always have to kind of get a that one in there. These are always good to go through. Just good little reminders and it sticks in our head a little bit more when we need, need them sometimes. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed or chosen to eternal life, believed. At that very moment, they had already been chosen, appointed, but then they heard the word of God. And just like Peter said, they were caused to be born again Because the living, abiding Word of God, that seed came into them and it's imperishable. It lives forever. Then you have Romans 9. That's one that you don't want to forget. Of course, Romans 8 is really good too. Romans 8, that whole chapter, that's a a diamond. Dwayne was telling me earlier that he's just been uh, starting at Romans 8.28 through the rest of the chapter. Staggering, staggering it is. That is uh, beautiful, beautiful. We're just going to hit on 9 just a little bit here, just a moment. Verse uh, 13. 
just as written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Um, um, uh, verse 11, For though the twins were not yet born and not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to His choice, would stand. Not because of works, because of Him who calls. So who's responsible for salvation? It's all of God. Man really doesn't have anything to do with it. He gives man faith. He grants man repentance. But you'll notice all through the Bible, it's Him who does this. He chooses. He calls. Work of Him. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 5. In the same way, then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Wow. <laughs> Pretty clear, isn't it? Uh, go to 1 Corinthians one nine. I don't usually turn to that one. But so many... I could expound out Ephesians, couldn't we? We could go there. Chapter 1, couldn't miss that. That one's too easy. Uh, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What a privilege, folks, to be in His army. We could do Ephesians 1, 3, but I'm not going to do it. First Thessalonians 1, 4. Ephesians passage probably is one of my favorite. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you... Then it talks about the Word of God and the Spirit of God. There again, that's what He uses to bring us to Him. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen. Such a misunderstood doctrine, isn't it? But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith. In the truth. So there he brings out the responsibility of man. Man has to have faith. He's justified by faith. But then we also know that where the faith comes from. Second Timothy one nine. Uh, can't forget that one. That's a good one. If you remember Second Timothy one nine, talking about the gospel according to the power of God, verse nine, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from when? From all eternity. From all eternity. This is when it happened. Wow. Chapter 2, verse 10. Does He ever know you? For this reason I endure... This is Paul. And as he's talking to Timothy, this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. You know what he's saying? You can be elect and not saved. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Does that get you? Well, we all were one. That's right. (laughs) You were elect, but you weren't saved yet, right? And Paul ever had that before Him. See, this never takes away evangelism. matter of fact, all the more that we should want to evangelize because God has the elect out there 
We want to take the gospel out, spread it out, and those people will, will come to that truth. They will somehow. He'll either use you or somebody else, but if they're elect, they're going to be. But you know that was one of his greatest drives. And so that's what he tells Timothy. This is the reason I endure all these things. This is the reason I go through shipwrecks and beatings and uh, all the the uh, the persecution that he got and the, the imprisonments and on and on. It was for the sake of those who were elect but not saved yet. Kind of cool, huh? Okay. Um, Revelation thirteen eight. These are just a few verses. You know, you can build a doctrine around enough verses like that, but we could go on and on, couldn't we? Some people will build a whole doctrine on one verse. That's dangerous. What's that? One word. Yeah, one word. That's right. And that that's scary. But when you have other support from other Scripture, and then on and on, and throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's something to at least examine, isn't there? 13.8 All who dwell on the earth... Now this, this is talking about... Uh, uh, well, we'll see in a moment. All who dwell on the earth will worship Him, everyone whose name had not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. So this book of life, the ones whose name had not been written from the foundation of the world are the ones who are worshiping Antichrist. That's, that's the idea there. If, if their name is... Uh, they will be worshiping Him. Uh, if they were not written in the book of life, which goes back to the foundation of the world. Back before. God had already had that plan. In 17.8, you'll see something similar in chapter 20, verse 15. So, election by God is seen by Peter as he stresses it, and he takes it right out of the Old Testament. I'll give you four reasons why this doctrine is so good, so precious. It's the most pride-crushing doctrine you'll find in Scripture because it lays you out. But, but, but I, I, I did, I, I believed. <laughs> At least we have that. It's all God. It's the most God-exalting doctrine of all the doctrines because now we give all complete 100% Glory to Him on that. We don't say, yeah, it was Him and me. Right. Goes against the grain of the human nature. Self, man. Number three, the most holiness-promoting doctrine that there is is found in that. Um, R.C. Sproul, his main ministry really evolved around the holiness of God. Because what it does, it shows how great He is. You exalt Him more and more. We don't talk about how good we are. Or you know, and in this case, we've been talking about a lot of the privileges that we have, but it's all because of what God is giving, right? It's all Him, um, but it promotes the holiness of God, how exalted He is, how holy He is, and to us, it's the most comforting doctrine of all, because it sweeps from one end of the spectrum of eternity all the way to the other, 
And what it does, it says, ah, I'm in His plan no matter what. It's not going to be up to my performance. It's up to His purpose and plan. I just desire to go along with that, you know? And just fill me, Lord, and whatever I can I can do, just help me to give you glory. But isn't it comforting to know He is absolutely sovereign in everything, even our salvation? Most people say He's sovereign in everything except our salvation. It's up to you. That's scary. I wouldn't be here <laughs> if it were up to me. I wouldn't have been here. Every little detail, he will use that. That's why the Romans 8.28 is so valuable. What that said, yeah, Dwayne. You know, with all the influence of the Word of Faith uh, movement, I, I'm not sure that... that uh, I'm afraid there are a lot of uh, evangelicals and so forth that actually don't believe that God is sovereign. Uh, hmm. Because the devil's got a big hand in it, and your confession's got a big hand in it, and, and really, it's really the devil and man that's in charge. The man, the devil and the Christians are duking it out, and God's just this, the big, you know, vending machine dispensing the blessings if you can figure out how to get them from. <laughs> that's true. That's the great. That's too thing. true. <laughs> that's well stated. That is sad. Write that down. Yeah. Well, you know, the the scripture that says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, that's the truth to me. That's the freedom. That when I got that, when I got that, I am really free. I really don't have any part in any of it. It's just this whole chosen thing. It's not anything about me. I love that. Now, Lord, <laughs> however you want to really use me, you know? Free. Yeah. Totally, totally sets us free. We're free from that bondage, self and sin. What's that? He tells us we are not our own. Yeah, that's right. We're 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 bought. Matter. Well, that's right in the text, isn't it? God's own possession. You know, uh, I can look back. I know. I know that I was saved when I was fourteen, and uh, but uh, there was so much wrong. I so many wrong ideas I had. I remember thinking that. Uh, when they gave the altar call, I wanted to be the first one down, so that well, so that I would not feel like I was being influenced by other people. You know that I wasn't following my friends or something like that. And I, I just had such a a sad a sad little view of a lot of it. Uh, I, I heard the call of Christ. You know, I yep. heard the call of Christ, and He called me in spite of all that stuff. You know, but. Isn't it amazing? He can he he still uses that for his own. That's that I identify with that too. Well, Mark was talking about why did those young slaves want to show how she'd wait for long to find out? You know, like that. You really don't know. You don't know why the Lord some earlier, but He uses even all that information, whatever you saw, whatever He He has planned for all that too. So like that, why you know, and then she learned the views of others, so you know how to talk to them more or explain things to them. Um, I think it took that long for me to get to the end of myself before I finally realized there was nothing else left. Yep. 
Let's get into that word generation or race. You are a chosen race or generation. Genos, the source, a race produced from a life source. You were generated by a life source. That's God. We're an elect race coming from a special source, namely God. Um, Generate. Special source for His own purpose. Holy purpose. So what He did, He sovereignly determined to set His love upon each one of you for His own holy purpose. Incredible. You know what? And we may never fully understand <laughs> what, what all that means. But it's okay. Now, the next one is really something. A chosen race, a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Go to Exodus 19.6. Probably familiar with this one. This is before, just before the giving of the law. It's at Mount Sinai. This is God's Word. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a, what? Holy nation. Sounds like our Peter passage. These are the words that you speak to the sons of Israel. A kingdom of priests. Peter's thinking of that. The emphasis on this phrase, a royal priesthood, is on royal. Royal. The the priesthood has already been discussed. If you look back in verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. This time he says a royal priesthood. A holy priesthood. So we talked about being priests. Um, So we spent some time on that. We're not going to delve into that very much. What we are going to do is delve into the royalty on this. Because this is strange. Kings and priests. You come from a priestly line if you're from the Levitical tribe in Israel. And if you're in the Judah line, uh, of course, that would be the kingly line. And so you can't be both. You could be one or the other, or you could be from the other tribes. But um, you can't be a priest and be a king, or king and be a priest. As a matter of fact, I recall whenever there was a king that tried to do some priestly duties, and he wound up with leprosy. Remember that one? Anyway, not a good thing for the king to do. But we know that Jesus was anointed... That's Messiah, Mashiach, as a prophet, as a priest, and as a king. How's that going to work? To combine these two is rather remarkable. Uh, I think quite a spiritual privilege we have here. Israel really never was able to realize the dominion that was given to them as being priest and also uh, a kingdom of priest. God had promised in in a sense like there that they would rule, but that never really happened. They didn't experience that in the sense that the way it was written there, they, um, they had apostasy in the nation. Yeah, Bob? I wonder if there's maybe a little 
comparison can be drawn with that and with Adam and Eve in the garden. They were also to rule reign there. Right. Yeah, it's like he's working through this again, isn't he? And Adam and Eve failed, and then Israel failed. But Christ being the victor, and then his people because of him will then finally do that. That's what we are. We're royal priests. Kingly priests. Not just priest, but what? Royal priest. Well, what does that mean? Well, it could be two things. Uh, it could be a priesthood belonging to the king and servicing the king. Always serving him. Well, that's that's true. You know, we know about that. Um, but also, this royal priesthood is, I think, even more impressing upon us on this on this section here. Um, we, we not only belong to the king and serve the king, but we... I say this really kind of quietly. Exercising dominion and rule. I'm not so sure about that now, uh, but... <laughs> we do not just serve a king, we reign with the king. You gotta identify with that, right? Alright. We're we're royal, we're priest of the king, and we're royal in that these priests rule with the king. And I think it's rather marvelous and say, Okay, well, what are you what are you talking about? If you think of a royal house you think of England. You think of the the royal the House of England or the royal House of France or the you know something like that, right? You think of the family line or or the people who live. Not just we're not talking about in a building in a house, but we're talking about a family, right? Where they are the the ruling people. Uh, it's a sphere of dominion that uh, they have. It's a family of rulers. Um, of course, there is the king of kings, but we're a ruling priesthood. We're a royal house of priests. A royal house of priests. Royal priest. Kingdom of priests. Look in Revelation 1.6. And He has made us to be a kingdom priest to His God and Father, to be a kingdom, priest to His God and Father. Just before that, in verse 5, it's talking about Christ, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And then He talks about to Him who loves us and released us from our sins by His blood. So we think about that this week. And now He's talking about priest to His God and Father. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's verse 6. While you're in Revelation, go to chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, Here's a new song. You guys know how the tune goes? I sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom 
and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I can't imagine that. That's what it says. 20 verse 6. I don't know what all that means. I really don't. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Okay, the only one who can establish this royal house is Christ, right? He is the king. He is the priest. So we have to go to Hebrews to give us a little help here because in Hebrews um, we have a lot about Israel, Jewish people who became Christians, and then some who were Christian or who were hanging around the church who were Jewish people uh, were written some warnings by Hebrews, uh, the Hebrew writer, uh, and he talks about Christ being. From the, not only was he from the, well, he was from the tribe of Judah, so he had the right to be the king. But it shows how he has the right to be a priest, the priest. Hebrews seven, verse eleven. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood. Levitical priesthood, being happened to be a Levite. For on the basis of it, the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest to arise? according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron. Aaron and the Levites, right? Aaron and that priestly line. And so he says, okay, I'm going to show you how this works. For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one is officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning priest, right? He's from Judah. You'd be a king, not, not, not a priest. Moses didn't talk about that. But he's saying, but there has to be a change, you know. And this is clear still, if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, actually existed, in Salem, which is the place where Jerusalem would be known later, at that mount. Anyway, this Melchizedek was back at the time of Abram. Abram tithed to him. Who has become such not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, not from what loins he came from or what tribe, but according to the power of an indestructible life, for it is attested of him, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That's Christ. And that's how he can be a priest and a king. And so there's the one who reigns and then also he made intercession for us. He went into the Holy of Holies, per se, right? As he died on the cross, he uh, was the sacrifice and yet at the same time, he, as he died for our sins, 
He's also the one that intercedes for us between holy God and and man. So Melchizedek um, was the one that uh, there was a model there that they could say, or the writer there could say in, in Hebrews, Christ is a royal priest. He didn't inherit his priesthood like everybody else did, did he? Through a priestly line. But here we see he's established as a royal priest. And because we are linked with Christ, that's why those texts that we looked at, like in Revelation and other places, that we reign with Him. We will reign with Him. Dominion priest, ruling and reigning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, first three verses. And I don't know how it all works. It is amazing. Verse 1, Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? We will judge angels? Don't you know that? That's what Paul says. Wow. That's that's ruling, isn't it? Revelation 3.21 Letting the Word of God speak. Incredible. He who overcomes, and the one who overcomes is the one who believes, right? See that other places. I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. What does this mean? No. He just says, give an ear to this. Check it out. If you, if, if you have any listening powers here, check this out. Whatever that means. And I'll, I'll leave it with that. I'm just saying this is really just a royal priesthood. No. What right do we have to come into His throne room? And He he begs us to come into the throne room. And what's really bad is a lot of times we just ignore that beckoning. And we are busy with so many other things that we don't take time to pray. Is that is that the case sometimes? Well, I, I'm sorry. You guys are okay. But I have trouble with it. Right? I really need to be in the throne room a lot more. Always in the court of the temple. We're priests. We are ministering before Him. Look in Romans 12, 1 and 2. We did that before when we studied the, the priesthood thing. But we can identify with the priesthood maybe a little bit more. But the privileges that Peter brings out here is just is just staggering. It's just mounted up and mounted up, and now it just explodes into this great crescendo here in, in his verse 9 and 10. Romans 12, Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So... As priests, we uh, we bring ourselves, uh, we present a living sacrifice that is set apart. We are truly priests. 
So now, if you want to know what your future is, you're going to be a royal priest. I used to be in the royal ambassadors. <laughs> but it wasn't anything like that. That was a little group kind of like the Cub Scouts or something. You've heard of them? The RAs used to go to that. Isn't it? <laughs> That's your future. You're going to spend eternity giving offerings to the Lord God. That's what we're doing right now. We're offering ourselves up as living sacrifices. But you're also going to reign a royal priesthood. You're going to have dominion over the dimensions of heavenly existence, however that works. God will assign those things to you and you're ever going to rule over these spirit beings called angels, which are much more powerful than we are right now. They serve us, even right now. Hebrews says that. Wow, what a plan God has. Did you know that there is no man between us? Only Jesus Christ. There's the mediator. There's the great high priest. What's that? Or woman either. In these days and times... No, I'm talking about Mary. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, right, right. The Roman Church. Yeah. That's, well, she's called a co-mediatrix. Yeah. Or Oprah. Yeah. Yeah, she's kind of a mediator there, too. That's right. She has her own own religion going there, doesn't she? So he's the priest, and we're priests. No man between us, though, uh, or woman, <laughs> but Jesus Christ. And there is no one over us as king. He is the king of kings, isn't he? And we know that we'll be reigning with him. Listen, we're, uh, we're not even going to delve into the holy nation tonight. I think those two right there give us plenty to think about <laughs> as we drive home tonight. Uh,